This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dale Jr. Download, another episode. This is 328, cranking them out. <laughs> um, Mike Davis is here. Mike, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we have a great guest, a unique guest. Um, we're sticking with the racing theme. Mm. Yeah. We do that. <laughs> uh, Jerry Glanville, uh, he was a coach though, you know, he, he coached the Falcons. You remember, I don't know, a lot of people yeah. uh, will remember Jerry as the coach of the Falcons. And um, but he was also a race car driver. I raced against him. We're going to hear all about that and why he might still be racing. I know, eighty right? years old. Yes, should be a great <laughs> show. Can't wait to talk to Jerry. Get him in the studio. Let's get started. There he is, the man. <laughs> you said I wouldn't show up. <laughs> oh, this is so neat. It's so nice to be here. I don't know how to do these mics. I you're good. Mic we can hear you from where you're sitting. <laughs> I made you mic fright. How about that? Woo. I was in the booth, you know, on TV for 15 years. That's incredible. While I was driving. Yeah. Like, you must be 150. Well, <laughs> I, I, it was funny. I was at uh, Odessa, Missouri, and the headlines in the paper were, Glanville hits 100. <laughs> and I thought, hell, am I that old? <laughs> and I read it, and I was the third guy to run at 100 different tracks. What? It was Kenny Schrader, uh, Richard Petty, and me. No kidding. Because I ran seven series. You, you hit all the tracks, you know? Yeah. And so in Odessa, Missouri, I hit 100. All right. So let's, let's <laughs> I know. Where are you going to go with that one? So <laughs> I want people to understand. So Jerry Glanville, a lot of people are going to remember you, obviously, as NFL coach. We're going to talk about that. But you were also a race car driver, and you were more of a race car driver than I think any of us in the room really know. And that's why you're here today is to help us understand how you ran at 100 different racetracks, how you were running yeah. And you're still driving today? Oh, yeah. We raced this uh, last summer uh, down in Cordell. They now have these late modifieds, you're probably aware, where you have crate motors. Yeah. So you will die. I drove a Camaro with a Ford motor. I goes, oh, my gosh, if Elliot saw this, he'd fire me. Yeah. Because Elliot, of course, Ernie built my motors. Oh, Ernie Elliot. Yeah, in Dawsonville. Yeah, and uh, if he saw me in a Chevrolet. (laughs) But now Chase is in a Chevy, so he can't say much. Yeah. So you're 80? Going to be 80. Now, don't get me too old. We'll be 80 in October. This show could be canceled when I'm done. He, yeah. he did say that. He yeah. goes, the good news is every time he's on a show, it either does great ratings or it gets canceled. So yeah. he said it's going to be one or the other. So this could be your last show. Don't last hold show. it against me. I'm not going to hold it against you. Now, one time you walked down and wanted to fight me. Do you remember I that? I did, yeah. And, and uh, I, what I always did when I did something wrong, uh, Bob Fisher was my car chief. And I said, Bob, he goes, Junior's walking down the car. I go, am I wrong or is he wrong? He goes, you were wrong. I go, I was wrong? Okay. So then I took a different uh, uh, you know, yeah. mode of operandi. <laughs> now, your dad, about no, but, 25 years before that, came after me in Atlanta. So I said, deja vu, baby. 25 <laughs> years before that? We were in Atlanta, and your dad came after me. Your dad ran me off the course. Remember Rockingham? Yeah. Your dad ran me off the course at Rockingham on lap four. So then we were in uh, Atlanta, the next race. This is Bush. And uh, we were coming out of uh, turn four, and I just put him right down by the infield. 
Well, I found out he could run me off the course, but NASCAR didn't want me running him off the course. <laughs> I got sent to the penalty box. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, we got one dispute at a time that we have to unpack here. Now, why did you and Dale Jr. have a problem? And, and where, where were you and when was it? I th- it was up in the east. Do you remember the track? Monster Dover. Mile? Dover? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the track was alive and well. Everybody was racing. I was coming out of the pits. And uh, I, had a, I had a good Chevrolet, by the way. I had a pretty good car. And I came out. I thought I had room to come up and get up to the top. And Junior was coming around the top wide, wide ass open. Yeah. And uh, I, he, I made him get out of the gas. Yeah, we were in qualifying yeah. mode. Yeah. And, uh, I was in practice. Yeah. yeah. So my, my qualifying lap that I was trying to run. <laughs> so I was – this was so, so silly. But I um, – <laughs> You know, I got Tony Yuri Sr. as my crew chief, and Jerry, you probably remember the Yuri's hot tempered, probably. Oh, yeah. And so I'm getting my butt chewed. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to, I've gotten my ass chewed for pulling out in front of somebody. Right, and so right. I was going to go down there and, and tell Jerry that he messed up. And I went down there and said, walked, leaned into his car, said whatever I said. Jerry was like, I, I get it. I get it. I messed up. My bad. Yeah. What'd he say? He said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to knock you into the fence. <laughs> I don't know that. Something like that. And, and I just said, <laughs> I, I just says, I talked to my crew, my bad, my fault. I walked away going, man, I can't believe I just said that to Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I was funny, he, I told your dad, your dad came after me one time. I said, if you want to back up and let me out of the car, I fight better than I drive. He goes, the hell with you. And he walked away. Your dad, your dad gave me one of those, you know. Yeah. Your dad and I were, uh, we had an unusual relationship. Uh, really? It was unbelievable. He did things for me that nobody in racing even would would know he did, including we went we went to buy a race team together. Derek Cope drove a Pontiac and won the Daytona 500. I think the team was called First One. Anybody remember that? Mm-mm. Well, First One was for sale. So when I'm practicing with your dad, your dad said, I want us to buy this team, and I'll be the silent partner because it was Pontiac. He goes, it'll be in your name, and you and I will hold a team. And I said, why do you want the team? He goes, Barry Dotson's the crew chief, and a guy like Malvasi or something like that is building the engines. He goes, we got motors, and we got handling, and we'll get up front. And he goes, the only thing I'm going to ask you to do, you got to quit your other job to drive the car. He goes, everybody tells me you got another job. I don't know what the <laughs> hell it is, but you got to quit that other job. Your dad didn't care nothing about football, nothing, you yeah. know. And he didn't care if I coached football. He goes, quit screwing around with that other job. That's what he'd tell me. So you're talking about this is the year when Derek Cope would have won the 500. That was, what, 91, yeah. 92? So this well, was at the pro- when you were It was the, the year after that. Okay, yeah. but you were with the Falcons from 90 to 94? I was the head coach at the Falcons at that time. And your dad had taught me how to drive at Richmond. We'd spent a lot of time together. In fact, uh, dr- drivers, Jimmy Johnson, you probably know, they would all come and say, can you tell me what you learned from senior, and it was the most unbelievable teaching. So he goes, come to uh, Richmond, I'll meet you there. And of course, your daddy was at, this is V6 Bush cars. I was in a Buick. Well, Buick had the motor in the V6s. Nobody could run with a Buick. Well, your dad was so smart, he goes, okay, for the first afternoon, we're gonna time you on these two poles in one and two. And all I'm timing is from that pole to that pole. And I'm going to find out if you can drive. He goes, 
don't worry about a lap time. You love your daddy. Your daddy says, lap time is engine, gear, and getting off the corner. Driving is getting in through these two. We went to lunch between those two poles, stopped for lunch. Your dad and I only got in there. He goes, I'm making you lunch. He makes me a freaking bologna sandwich on stale bread. Uh, should have been probably, he's probably full of poison. We ate it. <laughs> the second after lunch, we're going in three and four between these two poles. And to make a, a long story, he go, let's switch cars. He said, I want to drive this, see why, why that thing's doing that. So he'd get in my car. I got in his car. You, you probably sat in his car. I almost got nauseous. I was up on the wheel. I thought I was in a lazy boy. I was back <laughs> like that. I lost my equilibrium because yeah. his car, his seat was back so far. People don't realize he wasn't sitting up. He was laying down. You he know was, what I'm yeah. talking about. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He, well, he, he, like his, the door top, you know, his eyes would be right there. Yeah, right there. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And that's because he was, and I told him, I says, I can't drive your car. He got me my gold card license. Well, if he was there and NASCAR officials was there, that a gold card in those days, I don't know what it means anymore, you could drive anything. Whenever you showed up at track, you show that, and you got in it. And, you know, I went on, I drove NHRA, I drag raced for seven years, you know, along with, <laughs> with the NASCAR. I drove a funny car the whole deal because I had that card. Your dad yeah. spent that time with me. So after all this work him and I did together, my first race against him was in Rockingham, and he took me to the infield in lap four. You gotta love the guy. He wrecked you. He wrecked me. Lap four. <laughs> After all that. After all that. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I guess there's a price for the gold card, and yeah, you just I, got that, it. That was it. <laughs> so uh, let's step back a little bit. What got you into coaching? Well, it's kind of funny. I, I always knew I was going to be a football coach. In Why? Fact, uh, I just when I was playing, I'd have to go. My head, my head coaches, my coaches say, "Why'd you get up and go over there?" I goes, "I know the place going there." How do you know the play's going there? I said, I can see that halfback cheated to the outside about two inches. He says, you can what? I goes, I, I can read what's going to happen. And it wasn't something I studied. I didn't go dedicate my life to it. It all came pretty natural. It was like you being a driver, I could just do it. And so I sort of, when I was a sophomore in high school, I told everybody I'd coach the Detroit Lions. Well, lo and behold, my first pro job, I was coaching the Detroit Lions. And I went into high school coaching, and you'll love this story. In uh, 1964, I was a high school defensive coach. Mm -hmm. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Making $4,800. And 10 years later, I'm the defensive coordinator at the Detroit Lions. I mean, that's a fast track. That's, fast. that's, that's moving on, you know. How'd that happen? And I never applied for a job. People would In those days, unlike today, your resume was on film. So they would watch film and say, who, who is coaching that group? Yeah. Who is doing And you'd get a job. I went to Western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Everybody ever been there? Bowling Green. Coach there. Well, we, we were so good, Georgia Tech called me. So I went from Western Kentucky to coach at Georgia Tech. Now, at Georgia Tech, we were so good. The pros came after me. George Allen, the Redskins, came after me. Detroit, and I never applied for a job. And next thing you know, I'm in the NFL for 35 years, coaching and driving at the same time. Yeah. So when you go to a place like Western Kentucky or Georgia Tech or any of those places, how do you – so you're at Western Kentucky one year. Right. So what do you – when you go into a program like that, 
what's the tr- what's the tricks to turning something good? Well, it's it's kind of funny. We never lost it. Two years ago, we were in Canada. We were coaching up in the, the CFL. Yeah. Went from last to first in one year. Western Kentucky, last place to first place. Georgia what's Tech. What's the trick? Really, uh, the trick for me is I'm not locked in. We got to do it this way. I'm locked into what you can do. Uh, let's say uh, uh, you can play man. You can play zone. I won't put you in man. I won't put you in zone. And I sort of, uh, it's kind of funny, this year a guy at Michigan called me and said, how can you be number one on third down defense for 25 years? And it was hardball. He goes, what do you play? I goes, you got to ask me what, what team I had. Mm. I didn't play the same thing at any team. And uh, it was kind of funny. Your, your daddy said, you have the ability, Jer, to have the longest straightaway in racing. And I didn't know what he's talking about. I'm a football coach. And I said, Dale, how the hell do I get the longest straightaway? He goes, I love your – you're first in the gas whether the car's ready or not. <laughs> mm. And that's and he, he picked that up like that. Well, years later, uh, Ernie Elliott was building my motors, and Ernie says, Jerry – you give my motor the longest straightaway in racing. And I look back, I says, Ernie told me that five years ago. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And because I had no patience. So in racing, if I was at Milwaukee on a short track, I'm going through the wall. Because, you know, everybody just driving so slow, I have no patience, and I'm a football coach. And I finally say, the heck with it, I'm passing. And I jump out of the groove, and the next thing, I hit the wall up there about four years in a row. But if you give me a little banking, like I was very, very good at Michigan, very, very good at California. Third in Vegas. You'd love – I got so much trouble in Vegas. I was running in Vegas, and uh, you'd love this. Uh, A guy named uh, Harvick was running number Mm -hmm. one, and a guy was driving Petty's car to Pontiac was number two. And I was three, and that – I think we could have won the race. It went under caution, and we used to finish off the caution. So now I'm in the – I'm in the – I'm in the pits. And the guy says, the crowd's going wild, Coach. You took third. The crowd's going wild. I goes, I didn't take third. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You took third. I goes, the hell I did. I was first forward. They took that camera and left me so fast. People don't know my contract. You got paid first, second, or third forward. Oh, and that was better money than NASCAR. <laughs> so when I looked around and saw a Chevy in the Pontiac in the car, I go, whoo, we got a new motor coming. <laughs> go build a new engine. No, wait a second. Going back to football, you sort of made a career of taking struggling teams. That's what I did. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like it wasn't just the college teams. I mean, the Houston Oilers weren't doing anything. They were two and eight every year before we. The went. Atlanta Falcons were notoriously bad. Terrible. And then you, uh, this is what I remember because I lived an hour from Atlanta, and when you came to Atlanta, first of all, you brought a swagger. You yeah. got the, you still got the swagger. Oh yeah. Uh, if you don't have swag, you got no chance. And and, and I want to ask you about the swagger, but the second. But, but the by the is, way, go back to him and his daddy. Well, yeah, they had swag. Yeah, you both had swag. That's the whole deal. You got to have it. Got to have it. But you took this Atlanta team that was notoriously bad. All of a sudden, Deion Sanders is coming to Atlanta, right? Yeah. And now y'all are a playoff team. It was unbelievable. One one twelve. You were a rock star. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. They had great fun. How did you manage all that? And meanwhile, you've got you know Earnhardt in your ear trying to get you to quit and get in, in, and yeah. be a race car driver. Right. Like at some point, you would think that this becomes a little much for somebody. But you, how did you manage all this? I just uh, like my mama used to say. My mama's not with us anymore. She goes, "We were a race family. 
her dad her dad had the best dodge, the fastest everything. And all the while I'm coaching football, she'd wonder, she goes, are we going back to racing? And it was kind of funny. Uh, racing in Toledo, we were really, really fast. My mom's probably 84 years old. And I'm trying to get around, trying to get around, trying to get around. Well, we come in second. My mom meets me in the infield at 84 years. She says, all you had to do is bump him one time and push him out. <laughs> yeah. So that's who we were. That's, that's who the family is, you know. Sounds to me like you were a racer at heart, and then the football might have even taken the back seat <laughs> to that. Am I wrong? Uh, both. Okay. I, it, and people say, which did you like best? I said, I'm so blessed. Uh, I, had, I had two great things that I loved to do. And it was unbelievable. You guys have had Kenny Schrader on this show. Yeah. It did not matter where I was. It did. I'm in Monroe, Washington. I'm in Odessa, Missouri. And I'd look over, and who am I racing? Kenny Schrader. And he'd say, Coach, nobody knows you race all across this country. <laughs> and then I had a 1949 Ford that I drive. I ran a 1160 feet for seven years. Nobody does that. We were the fastest guy in the light for seven years. So we, you can't take away that fun. Yeah. You, can't, you can't ruin those memories. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's nothing like winning a playoff game on the road in football. It's all good stuff. When you cover a kickoff, this is what I tell the players. When we cover this kickoff, the hair on your arm better look like me coming out of turn four waiting for somebody to say green, green, green. And you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You're, you're sitting up on that seat. Let's get it on. Football's the same way. Mm. And they're both team sports. There's no individual. You, you can't win a, a game with an individual guy in football. And you learn in racing. The first, the first cup car I ever drove was metal yellow for Felix Sabatis. Well, I thought I was the greatest driver ever. It took me 10 years to sit in a car that good again. You know, it's a team's got to put that car together. Yeah. So, it, as a... As a coach in the NFL, I mean, there was the you know most people are going to remember you from the Atlanta Falcons days. Y'all became larger than life, sort of mainstream. You know, there was we were huge. Yeah, y'all were the MC Hammer video, right? Oh yeah, um, Deion <laughs> Sanders and all the things, right? So, what do you when I think about like I miss driving. I think it's healthy to miss miss that after you retire. Yeah. I'm sure you miss some things about coaching, but what do you miss the most? What what about those days, or maybe it was your your time in, in, as a high school coach, I don't know, but what do you miss the most? Well, the fact that, see, I, I coached, I lost two jobs last year coaching with the virus. So I was coaching in the XFL, yep. I said, with Tampa Bay. So I, I think now, Dale, you're going to die when I tell you this, I think I'm the best coach now that I've ever been. I think I do a better teaching job than I did when I was in 1974. 1974, I'm the youngest defensive coordinator in the NFL. Now it's whatever the year is, I'm still the best guy at that. Yeah. And, and it, you, if you can do it, you do it, you know. So you're still coaching. I'm still coaching. I coached this year in the XFL, and, and then I went off to the Spring League, and I coached there. And both jobs, we got shut down. Yeah. The teams got the virus. Last year, two years ago, I was a defensive coordinator at Hamilton Tiger Cats, the CFL. We went from last to first <laughs> two years ago. You know? yeah. Now, I didn't finish where I wanted in my last year. Daddy taught me. I had a, I had a Detroit locker. Mm -hmm. What did I tell you this? You, you're going to know what I'm talking about. 
and I and he'd say, "You can turn the car with the right rear tire." That's your daddy. He goes, "You get in trouble, more gas and turn it." Well, this year I'm down in Cordell and I hit the Raza where somebody blew a motor, and I'm heading right straight for the wall. So I get after it, and it has a uh, what do they call a spool? it? It's got a spool. Guess what? I went right into the freaking wall. <laughs> and uh, I thought right then, I, I should have realized the Detroit, lo- you could run the Detroit locker, but you have to carry another 150 pounds. Oh. That's the rules in that thing. I says, I'll never drive a spool again because for years you're turning the car with the right rear tire, and then all of a sudden you got a spool, and you just got to keep the momentum up, as you know, and keep on going through there. Yeah. So because they switched the rear end on me, I went knee deep and ruined that Camaro. In fact, you love my spotter, B.J. Fisher, great guy, been with me 100 years. And B.J.'s up in the tee, he goes, he's dead. <laughs> he goes, really? he says, you can't hit that hard without dying. He goes, oh, he hits hard a lot. He'll be okay. I says, no, he's done. He goes, well, if he is, I don't know who that is walking across the infield with his helmet in his hand. I said, damn, man. I ruined my whole year because we were scheduled to do uh, seven races. And I ruined a whole daggum year. What kind of car is it? It's not a left-hander, but it's something like that. I can't think of the name. It's in Michigan. It's yeah. made in Michigan. And a uh, big-time chassis, you yeah. know. Where do you race at? I was down in Cordell, Georgia. They race it uh, in Florida and all. Yeah. And uh, the average age driver is 19. Right. <laughs> and they're all guys that were real good here, and they're trying to work their way up. And they're and – they're, and they're, uh, Owners say, if you get behind the coach, follow him. You'll get 50 years uh, learning if you follow him. Well, this poor kid could take coaching. I went right into the wall. He went right into the wall behind me. Ruined his car. He says, they, you told me to follow him. <laughs> Don't follow him into the wall, you know. When Coach was telling me this stuff uh, the other day, I, I was talking to him on the phone, and I, and I couldn't wrap my head around He was telling me about this race in Cordell, and I said, Coach, wait a second. Do, are you telling me that you own the car and so you were down there watching yeah. and and do you remember what you said to me because i was well, i don't to... i don't go and watch he's like no i don't go if i'm not driving no i know it's no fun uh <laughs> it's kind of funny i went and watched junior win his last race at talladega and the people knew i was there because i don't go very often and when he won they said you go in there and you be the first guy when he gets out the window in victory lane in victory lane and he ate won the race and, and I got to say this for his show. People don't realize. There's two guys. I was real close to A.J. Foyt. There's two guys that if they wrecked, half the stadium packed up and went home. If you're at Indianapolis 500 and A.J. Foyt broke, broke or got in a wreck, they packed up the coolers and left. This guy, if he wrecks at Talladega, the stadium empties. <laughs> That's something. You talk about 14 trophies. You talk about all that other stuff. That's the only two drivers, when they got out of the race, the stadium emptied. That's, that's, that's amazing. When I wrecked, everybody cheered. It was different. You know? <laughs> that's, uh, so, all right, you were saying that you saw him in victory lane, though. Yeah. And so. And the first thing he said, he says, the last time I saw you, Coach, I thought you were going to kick my butt. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about the incident. The Do you remember seeing him in victory lane? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. How could you forget, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you're still coaching you know, when, when the right opportunity comes along, right. somebody calls you up and says, hey, man, let's, you want, and it I'm looks, gone. you're ready to go. Yeah. You're still racing. So, right. um, 
let's go to let's go back and and we we asked you a little bit about you know why racing so your family was heavily heavy into cars and and speed and all that right what was the first race car what was the first race what was the first car what was the where where were you when you said i want to drive that you know i mean we we started in drag racing my brother sitting back here my brother my brother would build the motor and i would drive the car what kind of car oh we were fords Mm mm-hmm uh, we had uh, uh, these big uh, Starliners with 427 cubic inches, and, you know, we could run. We thought we were really, really good, and then the Chrysler people asked us to come up to the Chrysler factory and race them. Richard said, my brother, we're never racing a factory team again. We weren't a factory team, but we were a good team. Yeah, and where were y'all racing at? Uh, in Ohio. Ohio. All through Ohio. Okay. And raced everywhere in Michigan. And uh, it was kind of neat because when I went back, how about this? When I was a high school coach, you'll die. I taught driver's ed. <laughs> how about that? And now when I raced at, awesome. when I raced at Michigan, I came in third at Michigan. Yeah. When, when I raced at Michigan, all the students I taught driver ed to came to the race. Really? And they all said, "You didn't drive like you taught us." <laughs> yeah. My God. Your racing bug came initially from drag racing. So, right. what, do you, what? Where were you when you said, you know, I want to go drive a stock car or, an, or anything on an oval? Like, what, what was the how? How did that I, happen? I was a coach at the Oilers. Okay. And uh, being in Georgia a lot, uh, I'd been in Atlanta, Georgia Tech. I've been with the Falcons. Now I'm with the Oilers, and Bill Elliott was running and running and running. And they said he's from Dawsonville. I said, I've gone through Dawsonville a hundred times. When we go for Christmas, I'm going to go up and see him mm-hmm. and uh, just say hello. And we went up there, and, you know, Bill was unbelievable. He doesn't talk to many people. If anybody tells you Bill's a real good friend of mine, they're lying. Because to be a real good friend to Bill, he spoke to you twice. Yeah. So I, I go up there and uh, talk, and, and then he has me go with Ernie. And Ernie says, you know, you ought to drive a bush car. I goes, really? He goes, you'd love it, and you'd be good at it. And uh, we had, we got to get you in a bush car. And that's how— So ma- you drove a bush car. That was the first car you—that was the first oval? How about the first oval I drove was in Atlanta in Mellow Yellow because uh, Petty, Kyle Petty, broke a leg out in uh, Phoenix, I think it was. Uh-huh. And Felix Sabatis got me and said, we want you in this car. And I got in there, and I was practicing, and NASCAR said, you cannot run these tracks without any experience. And NASCAR said, we're going to put you in a bush car, but you got to run Myrtle Beach, Tiny uh, Felucia. Yeah. And it was kind of funny. Uh, the, the NASCAR guy looked at me and says, they have sent you to hell. If somebody told me I had to run all those. I went and ran all those tracks against. How about this? You want to know who I was racing against? I was going to run for rookie of the year. I was 54, and, <laughs> and the other rookie was a guy 18. His name was Jeff Gordon. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah. And who was, who, who was running in that class? Are you ready? Do you remember Presley? Oh, yeah. Do you remember Mr. Excitement, Jimmy Spencer? Oh, yeah. The Burton brothers, the Labonis? I, I'm racing, and I'm, I says, these guys are good. Well, they all went out. And became, in fact, Presley surprised me because your dad – when he'd come to the bush race, loved to race Presley. Yeah, they were rough. Oh, they they would rough. rough each other yeah. up. Was it fun to watch? Oh, bumper yeah. to bumper, banging each other. And when he went to the cup, he must have never got the 
the setup because he he wasn't as good in the cup, but in the bush he was he was yeah. awesome. And Jimmy Spencer was awesome. I went to Atlanta. Remember Jimmy Spencer went to TV. Yep. So Jimmy Spencer, I'm going to pardon me. I'm going to race in Michigan, and he comes down. And he goes, Coach, what are you doing? I go. He says, You can't race this car here. I goes, That's the car I got. He goes, You can't race that car. You might as well go home. And I said, Why can't I race it? You won with this car three years ago. He goes, We've left that technology. We've left that design. My stuff was never new. Yeah. Well, we came in third, uh, chasing a guy named uh, Kyle Bush. It was Kyle Bush and me coming around that track. wasn't bad, you know. Yeah. So uh, we we've had that kind of fun. Did I miss? I, I I gotta go back. Did you did you just say that before you ever actually entered a bush race, your first car was the Meliello car that was the Cup car for Kyle Petty. For Kyle Petty. And so your first laps around an oval was in a Cup car for Felix Sabatis. And NASCAR says you can't go out there and do this. You have zero experience. Yeah, when I came there, I, I showed up then for a practice day, and uh, I was in a Ford now, and uh, they didn't know I was in the car. And uh, I went out there and ran and ran, and then they found out I was in the car, and they said, hey, where have you run? I said, well, I was here in a Pontiac with the Mellow Yellow. It was a practice day. Yeah. Felix, let you hop in there and take some laps. Yeah, and he goes, you, you – we can't let you race. You've never raced anywhere. <laughs> wow. I, I mean. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> How about I mean, that? NASCAR pulls me out of yeah, the car. Yeah. And, I ge- can... and guess who my spotter is? Who? Harry Hyde. What? Yeah. Harry Hyde's my spotter. He says, he, he tell me, Coach, uh, he's coming up on your outside. Stay down, but get in the gas. <laughs> <laughs> Every day of his life is like the hangover. It's, it's just, I mean, like, what were you about to say, though? You. Well, I was just trying to paint the picture in my head, like, that he – that Felix probably, you know, Kyle's, they're testing, probably don't have any, you know, probably who knows who's testing the car for him because Kyle's hurt. So he calls Jerry up and says, come take a lap. I can see Felix doing that. And guess who the crew chief was? He became Jerry Nelson. Ch- yeah. Yeah. And guess what? He, <laughs> how about this? When he set the car up, I thought I was on a railroad track. Oh, yeah. The car... Bill Elliott says, I've been chasing you all day. I can't get you. I goes, it ain't me. I'm just pointing it and standing on it. Yeah. And Atlanta, <laughs> and Atlanta those days was unbelievable. Was half mile corners, quarter mile straightaway. Right. And if you wanted to be fast, you had to roll through the through the corners wide open, as you know, man. Yeah. I had a ball. So he goes out there, tests the car, then he brings his own car, his Ford, yeah. to to a true test. And he's out there running, and NASCAR walks over and goes, "Hey, Jerry, um, what experience do you have? Where have you ran? Because uh, you know, if you plan on running this race, we need some credentials." And he's like, "This is it." They're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! You got to go. Uh, you know, maybe you should run Myrtle Beach, <laughs> Volusia County." Oh yeah. So they sent him on a wild Rougemont, Rougemont, rough Hickory, Hickory. I had to go. Hold up. He's like, "Hold up! I got a gold card. What does that get <laughs> yeah. me?" So NASCAR's <laughs> like, "You know what? Before you can run Atlanta, we need you to go." Tear this car up a bunch <laughs> and uh, go to these short tracks. That's sure to tear it up. Um, How about this? I gave Rusty Wallace the schedule they gave me. Rusty looked at it. He goes, I'd quit. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. It's just what he said. He right. Goes. Because of the tracks were just notorious yeah. Yeah. for being back He went and did it, though. I yeah, remember, I, yeah, I went and, went and ran them all. Ran, ran every one of them. So you ended up, uh, I remember that. I, so you're running that. You're running the Xfinity races or the Bush races. Yep. You also got into truck series, ran some truck they, races. They asked me, remember uh, uh, there was a chassis builder here, here in town, uh, Lofton. Yeah. 
and he did my chassis in the in the bush. Mm-hmm. He goes, he called me. He goes, I'm building you a truck. I goes, what are you talking about? He goes, there's going to be a truck series, and it's you. Yeah, it is you. <laughs> and I says, well, I don't know anything about it. He goes, doesn't matter. I'm building the truck, and that's how I got. To, so the first year they ever had a truck, you series, were in it. I was in it. Ah, and I ran sense. the truck series for seven years, but. Because of football and TV, I could run half a year, mm-hmm. and then I'd have to go to work. So, like the first year, if you look on the records, it says I finished 18th. I'm 18th and ran half the races. Right. I'm, I'm a I'm a fourth or fifth guy, but we have to leave sure. because I was uh, calling the football games on uh, Fox and uh, CBS. Let me ask you a question: You weren't racing, so when you were the coach of the Falcons. You were the co- your last year with the Falcons as a head coach was 1993. You hadn't raced competitively in NASCAR at that point, right? Well, I in 91, when all the other coaches went golfing, yeah. I would go to a racetrack. So I was driving 91, 92, 93. Driving button, what? Uh, cars in practice at tracks. Yeah. Is uh, there, was there? And then I qualified in Atlanta. You'll die. So now I'm the head coach, and I qualify in Atlanta in the bush, and we're going to run, and you're going to love this. To my right is Harry Gant. A guy named Dale Earnhardt's in front of me. A guy named Dale Jarrett's behind me. I goes, this is going to be awesome. And we woke up the next day, had two feet of snow. Yeah. And mm. the, who would have known what would have happened if we now? They when canceled they, the race. Canceled the race. The snow was that deep. Yeah. When they reschedule it, we're playing the Rams. I can't be there. Oh, yeah. man. I remember when uh, that race happened, and I remember that because they canceled the race. Dad, Tony, Dad was driving the uh, the Bush car with Tony Senior as the crew chief, and uh, Rick Bost and all those guys. Mm. They just built the farm shop, so we're back at the farm shop on Monday, and they unload the backup car, and the block had busted because it froze all the water in it. Yeah, oh, that's wow. a, they, that yeah. dad was so pissed off at Tony Senior and them because and they were all pu- pissed off at each other because they'd forgotten to drain the block so that motor busted. <laughs> Their pipe froze. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you about racing back then. It looked like you're not going to qualify to get in a race. Remember Chad Little? Yeah. A guy like Chad Little would come over and says, if you don't qualify I'll carry your sponsor so you get your money. Yeah. We'd break a rear end and you won't even believe this. And Roush would come over and says, I got a rear end for you. Mm. Racing oh, then yeah. was so family, and every everybody wanted to beat your butt. Yeah. But everybody would do anything to help you. Am I right? Yeah. It was really awesome. Let me ask you a question. So Mike talked about it with how did you how did you have time to race and to coach and do all that. Was there ever a time when the owners or, or of, this, of these football teams were like, hey, uh, you know, you're spending a little bit too much time racing. Mm. Was there ever a time when the two might have gotten the way of the other or not? I mean, it seems like at some point, because well, you got heavy into the racing. Yeah. Like, you really did. But I really got heavy into the racing when I went to TV. Right. So when you saw me racing, you were I, TV. I was a TV a star. A broadcaster, yeah. And you know how that is. Did uh, that ever? It's like having a hemorrhoid. Did, the, <laughs> did, did those two ever? Did those two ever kind of get in the way of each other? No, in fact, yeah, uh, Fox was great because they were trying to get Fox on NASCAR, so Fox would come out and film me. Yeah, and that was part of their package to sell it. So I was at Topeka Road Course, right? 
And I'm not only racing at Topeka, I got Fox cameras in my truck. And they're, uh, and guess who, I, guess who I raced in Topeka? Guess who drove against me? Kenny Schrader? Guy named Rick Hendricks. Oh, yeah. How about that? Remember, he got yeah. in the truck there. I always see it. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Uh, who won? Oh, gosh. Probably Skinner. I can't remember. Skinner. <laughs> And there was a guy, Skinner had it down. And see, we wasted, and Junior will will love this, I never should have went into trucks because we could get an Anarcha car, and we got a shot. We could get in a bush, we got a shot. We could never, we didn't have truck knowledge, which I found out later was uh, a a rubber, you know, a rubber in in a spring, not a round. The car, the truck won't turn. They can put 10 rounds in there. It ain't turning. You got to have a spring rubber. And we did not have that knowledge. So we had a hit on it and be lucky to be there to get up front. Like, I qualified third at the Phoenix. Well, they said, how could you do that without that knowledge? I says, I took my left foot and stood on my right foot and said, if we die, we die. That's the only way we could get there. Yeah. And I wasted that time because we didn't have the right. Now, Skinner and, and Hornaday, they could turn like a car. Yeah. The rest of us did not. What did you enjoy driving the most? What car was probably the most enjoyable racing? Well, Arca or? I loved Arca because, I'll tell you about Richard Petty. I'm at Richmond, and I'm in the trucks. And they brought, and they brought about 10 cup guys to run that race. Well, my goal was to beat every cup guy. <laughs> so I qualify like 14th or 15th. And Richard Petty comes on. He goes, Coach, what are you? The hell can you qualify 14? I've seen you sit on a pole at, at uh, uh, Bristol. What are you doing? I said, Rich, it's the same motor. And he looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, I only got two motors. And he said, quit and only show up when you have a new motor. Mm-hmm. He goes, they don't realize how you can drive. He said, I know how you can drive. How many races you got in this motor? I said, this be my fourth race. But we still beat every cup guy in the race I was happy. You did? Yeah. Not one cup guy came up in front of us. That was yeah. fun. But to going back to his question, I mean – you said you enjoyed ARCA. ARCA gave us a chance to win because everybody was like us. I had uh, I had uh, B.J. Fisher, his wife, uh, uh, Bob Fisher. I, I had three people. And when you go to ARCA, a lot of people have a three-man team. Yeah. I raced Kozlowski. He had his brother. Yeah. How about this? You know this Kozlowski guy racing the cup? He played in my trailer during all the races. <laughs> he never left the coach's trailer. I mean, this is how far back why why his dad and me got after each other. Yeah. Uh, but but so in Arca we had a chance because we had the same knowledge and we had the, about the same equipment. You go race in the bush when we're in the bush, we had a setup for the race. Well, everybody else totally rebuilt the car to qualify. Yeah. We didn't even know how to do that. So when I qualified, I was qualified on my race setup. Sure, I was as you know I was the only guy. And in fact, if you'll die laughing, if Presley wasn't fast enough, I wasn't stupid. I saw a different carburetor go on that car. They took off, you know. Yeah. I only had one carburetor. I couldn't put anything, anything else on there. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I heard about you um, and that we have in common, actually, is that you're a huge Elvis fan. Well, I left tickets for Elvis, and that became huge one day, yeah. you know. I was going to practice. We were in Texas. I was coaching the Oilers. And we had the radio on as we're driving over the practice field. And they said Elvis was spotted in Michigan at a Burger King. 
This is like in the 80s. Yeah. So after practice, you have a press conference. And we were playing uh, the New England Patriots in Memphis for the preseason game. And I said, well, we halftime is dedicated to Elvis. We're going to leave him two tickets. Well, that became bigger than life. That was that was bigger than anything yeah. anybody's people ever that done. That was cool. Yeah. And, but, and, by the way, people came and tried to pick up the tickets saying they were Elvis. It was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I have a – <laughs> I have a room in my home dedicated to Elvis. Wow. I've had an Elvis room in my house since I've had a house. You'll die. If you were to call my phone. Yeah. Are you ready? Born in the ghetto. Elvis <laughs> Presley. Yeah. No one could imitate that song. All the guys that are Elvis Presley intimidated, they never try Born in the Ghetto. And if you listen to the song when you get time, I tell everybody, it's sort of a life story of an old beat-up football coach. Mm. It's kind of neat, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So what was your what was the fandom for Elvis? Was that something that your parents had or your mom or your grandma or something no, like that? Or you just kind of became – that, that, that was the years you grew up. You, know, like I, you grew up listening the to The Beatles it. were big. I didn't care yeah. nothing about the Beatles. Who cares about Ford Limeys with long hair? So they were over <laughs> here. I didn't care about the Beatles. Don't know one song. Yeah. So I sort of went with my group, which uh, later became Wailing Jennings, uh, guys like that uh, became really the guys I listened to. Yeah. I was a big music guy. Chris Christopherson. On that note, how, how did you end up in all, in, in how many music videos have you been in? And, and how did that happen? By the one, by the way, one of them became the number one music video ever, which was, uh, it was with uh, the band, uh, my brother, oh no, Confederate Railroad, which is. Uh, the country band. Yeah, yeah. That became the number one video. Uh, she took it like a man was the name. She of the took video. it like a man. They played yeah. that in every stadium we went to. They played that video. I got hit over the head with a beer bottle. I got, things people love to see, you know. <laughs> I got fli- flipped out of the back of a pickup truck. I did all my own stunts. You no, did. <laughs> nobody did my stunts. I can't imagine there being a stunt double on the planet that could imitate you the way you can do you. So well, I'd say that's well, probably right. The most fun I had, I was invited to be in Hoffa. Remember the movie Hoffa? Yeah. Well, they wanted me to be Jack Nicholson's bodyguard in a big fight. Well, in that fight, I got hit with a baseball bat. You guys will die. All these things happened to me, and you don't feel a thing. So the, the movies are a little bit fake on that, you know. Of course. <laughs> but I was in the big, huge fight, fighting for Hoffa. Uh, that, that was fun. And the one I still get residual checks was The Sopranos. You were in The Sopranos? I was in The Sopranos. And now my checks, everybody says, you're living off. Th-. My checks now, stamps 42 cents. Some of my checks now are a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. How do you get cast in those movies? Uh, Everybody, all the movies, and I just did a great movie. You got to see it. You did just Uh, now? uh, About two years ago. What was it? Uh, Richard, what was the name? (laughs) Uh, It was a great movie. Yeah. The last movie with Burr. I think they changed the name of it, so it's the last great movie star. Oh, Look at that movie at Burt Reynolds. They came to me. We shot that movie, and that was Burt Reynolds' last movie before he died. Who calls you up and says, hey, got a spot for you in this movie? Who's that? Burt. Burt called you. And I've never spoke a word to him. You've never talked to him before, and he called you? Yeah. That's something. Did you believe it was him? Yeah. (laughs) I knew he was a big football guy. Oh, okay. See, people that realize at Florida State, he played in the uh, Sun Bowl. Yeah. It was the MVP in the Sun Bowl, yeah. rushed for like 171 yards. Burt Reynolds was the MVP? Yeah, how about that? What? I yeah. knew he played. I didn't know he was oh, like, yeah. 
you, my, I knew he was good. Yeah, big yeah. Co- yeah, I, I don't know who's the MVP of the Sun Bowl or whatever <laughs> that year. But, I, like, <laughs> but now it's Burt Reynolds. Yeah, well, now well, I, I, I got to tell you this. There wasn't a nicer guy. And he taught me what Richard Petty taught me. Uh, we did the movie shoot, and then we, there's a lot of sitting around waiting. He never did not give a fan an autograph. Mm, he never yeah. did not give him time. Well, Richard Petty taught me that. So I'd go out and race at uh, Pike's Peak in Colorado, and the race is over, and my line from my rig would go a mile. And my, my great race crew, the Fisher family, would say, Jerry, you sit here and you sign every autograph. Everybody would be gone, and we'd be, and then we'd leave. And I learned that. You learn something from everybody. Dale Jarrett. I mean, well, how how you know Dale Jarrett? He taught me how to get through uh, uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. He goes, Coach. One thing about you at Charlotte. He goes, What is? He says, Stay in the gas on the corners. He says, The more gas you're in, the more you whip around there. Well, I wouldn't have known that. And he'd walk up and tell me that I'd take off and be. Th- in fact, I got in a wreck with, uh, I think he was a cousin of yours in the Ark. Kerry? Yeah, my brother. Your brother. Your brother. He's running second. I'm running third. And lo and behold, I'm right, right. And I see his left rear tire go off the track into the grass. I go, oh, brother. I swing up at the top and mash it, and he came right up. Yeah. Made me sick. And- I had. I used to have an XM radio show, mm-hmm. and uh, Burt Reynolds came on it. That's right. Well, yeah. We, I forgot Reynolds, about that. Burt Reynolds was a guest. Like, it was... I was. We only wanted him on the show because we were just giant fans of his. Oh, yeah, he, he was a great nice. guy. Super nice. Came on our stupid yeah. show and sat there and listened, talked to us and answered every question we had. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do we know what the name of the movie was yet? Yeah, I looked it up. It's the... <laughs> the Great Last Movie Star or something like that. The Last Movie Star. Yeah, right? the Last Check Movie it out. Star. And they changed the name. And did after, you have a big role? Well, it's funny. Whoever casted me, uh, they casted me as a football coach. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> it was a tough act. <laughs> if I'm doing a movie and I need a football coach, I know I'm calling. <laughs> yeah. Picture this. It's blazing hot outside and you need to head to work. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get the cold air pumping as soon as possible, but it doesn't work. Instead, blowing hot air out of your vents and directly into your face. No, your car doesn't hate you. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the air conditioning system. And there's an easy all-in-one solution that will restore your cold air in no time. There's no need to go to the shop and pay lots of money when you can save time and money recharging yourself with AC Pro Recharge Kits. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience. And the AC Pro app offers clear, vehicle-specific instructions to help you get the job done in less than 10 minutes. So pick up an AC Pro Recharge Kit at any store selling auto products and confidently restore your car's cold air yourself today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, so you kind of coached off and on. You stopped coaching the Atlanta Falcons in 93 Coached Hawaii, defensive coordinator in 2005, so a big break there. Um, That's when I was racing and doing television. And so you did television for a while. What I'm getting at, I guess what I want to know is, you're still racing today, Mm -hmm. all right? Where, and you you said when you sat down, you've ran over 100 different racetracks. 100 different tracks. All from coast to coast. Because... I ran Southern All-Stars. Then you, you ran got, the you Southern ran, All-Stars. Okay, so think of the track. Wait, wait, wait. I, I was two guys from Georgia and 50 guys from Alabama. I raced against Red Farmer and Davey Mater. 
and Jerry Glanville. That yeah. was the three guys racing. Uh, then I ran uh, Hootish Pro Cup. Yeah. So who was I racing? Mario Goslin. Yep. And, and I think he has a team now, doesn't he, does. he somewhere? And the series go I ran Winston West. Who did I run in Winston West? I ran Kevin Harvick every yeah. race. Uh, then I ran Arca, you know. Who were you running in Arca? A guy named Kozlowski. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was just awesome. How are you putting what how do you put together your deals to you know, cause those series are geographically all over the map. All over the map. Um, so, like, you you find you got a partnership that's out west, and they're like, "Hey, let's go run the West Series. Let's see. If, let's take our deal out there to a, to a West team." And, and like, how are you putting these deals together? You're unbelievable. Your knowledge is scary. We're in <laughs> Vegas running a Winston West. We come in third at Winston West. In two days, we're racing in Lakeland, Florida, and Hooters Pro Cup. That car is in the rig. That's our second car. Is our Hooters ah. Pro Cup. We load up, and we never stop that we pull in in Florida, sign up, and go race. We're crazy. Yeah. Damn. That's some Kenny that Schrader kind of That is crazy. Stuff. That's yeah. Kenny Schrader. My Kenny Schrader, I told him, he's, he flew. I drove the rig. I used to race your dad's You drove rig. the rig? I drove the rig. I, and we raced your dad's rig after every bush race. That the, yeah. We had more fun racing home with the rigs <laughs> than we did on the track. And in fact, I was pulling out of, out of uh, Charlotte, and the guy stopped me. He goes, you're the second race car driver ever to drive his rig out of here yeah. every time you come. And I said, really? He goes, and the other guy drove a Western Star just like you. I said, who was it? I said, A.J. Foyt. I goes, not bad company. Let me go, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you drove your own rig. You drove my own rig at every race. Really? What Dang. were you telling me about having uh, police badges? Oh, like, you got to have a police badge. And, and I have a feeling this probably helped you out with the rigs. <laughs> yeah. Well. What happens is when you drive like I do, you got to put one of those on them. So you got to have one for every state because so you, they will chase you. <laughs> <laughs> I got picked up in Georgia, a uh, hundred mile an hour with a speed limit, but luckily in Dawson County, you weren't allowed to give Bill Elliott or Jerry Glanville a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> you know where you got. I don't know if Chase got that privilege, but we had it. Unbelievable. Hey, I, I, let, let me ask you something unrelated. I, we all know Wikipedia can be wrong. But I read your Wikipedia bio. I'd hate to read that. Well, I want you to tell me where this is wrong. Okay. Okay. Glanville vehemently opposed Falcons general manager selection of Brett Favre in the second round of the 91 NFL draft, citing Favre's personal issues with alcohol and his party lifestyle. He said it would take a plane crash for him to put Favre into a game. Glanville also <laughs> was known to place $100 bets with Favre and others on whether or not Favre could throw a football into the third deck of stadiums before games. Favre only threw four passes during his one season with Atlanta. Then he was traded to the Green Bay Packers in the 92 offseason for a first-round draft pick. Any of that incorrect? About most of it. But okay, good. Uh, just about <laughs> most of it. My brother was in the draft room. Really? They, they wanted me to draft Favre the first pick. and They, uh, well, they wanted me to take the guy who went to New York, right, Rich? Uh, you got to look at the guy that went to New York they wanted me to take. I said, I'm not taking him. He says, you got to take him. I said, I'm not taking him. I need another wide receiver. And they said, well, then take Favre, I guess. I'm not taking Favre in the first round. So it wasn't I was mad. I took, I took the receiver who was the leading receiver out of Colorado. I uh, got him out of Colorado. was the leading receiver the next year the guy I took. And I took Favre the second round. So I was through the death. I got Favre and I got him. But Favre's the only guy I've ever coached that didn't show up for the team pitcher. Oh, that was a problem, man. We, we had pro he was young. He was foolish. He was doing things he shouldn't have done. And I went all over and tried to 
talk people into not giving him free drinks. Nobody, you know, he, he was a show wherever he went. And uh, it was always obvious he could play. And he had the toughness of a linebacker at quarterback position. And when you're tough at quarterback, that permeates through your whole team. That's like I, I love Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch, I don't care what team he goes to, they all get tougher. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. And, and that's the way, you know, I look for stuff like that. But you have to sometimes decide, is the guy bigger than the team, then you're not going to have a team. Mm. And you got rules, and if a guy can't follow any of the rules, you got to move on. Well, he was immature. I, yeah, I, that's all. He, he matured. That's I, all. He, and it's kind of funny. His dad, I kept it. His dad later came because I could have traded him to New York. If I'd have traded him to the New York Jets, nobody would know his name because New York is like Atlanta. It never closes. stays open all night. I said, I'm, tra- oh. I'm trading you to Green Bay because the last bar closes at 9. After <laughs> 9, you get to buy chili. That's it. <laughs> and it changed his career. Certainly that can't be true about Green Bay. <laughs> That's very disappointing to hear. I mean, you and I have been to Green Bay. It's well, not uh, a lot there. Yeah, I, you know, two, but yeah, I know you two. You went to bed at 930. I just There's assumed every, everywhere the bar is open to two, no? Well, I, I tell you this, whatever, however late they stay, they don't rival New York. I no. mean, like, <laughs> Joe Namath sort of made that, uh, made that case. That oh, is yeah. true. Maybe that's why Jimmy and Jeff Gordon like New York so much. You think they just pull all-nighters there? Well, yeah. every time I went to visit them there, we were up all-nighters. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, well, how about this? Jeff Gordon and I were rookies, and we had to talk to last year's champ before every race. That's the right. lecture. Yeah, we were talking it, about that in the guess, last – Guess who it was. The rookie meetings. Guess who was talking right. to us. Who was the rookie meeting? Who was the rookie – Jeff Burton. Jeff Burton yeah. ran the rookie meetings. <laughs> ran the rookie meetings. How about that? Huh? Dale, Dale Jr. has a theory that they all the, – the, the previous champion was always – the one that ran the rookie meetings, yeah. and that NASCAR went away with that when Dell Jr. was the champion because they <laughs> said there's no way he's going to have to influence our rookies. Oh, my gosh. That would have been great. That race like, would have been worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited. I was yeah. Like, I'm going to run these rookie meetings. I'm going to tell these rookies. <laughs> nope. Nah, never hey, you, you look back at the guys I got the race against. And so who do I follow now? I follow guys that I knew their dads. People don't realize Blaney, who's racing now. People don't realize his dad could drive. Oh, yeah. His dad could qualify like he was on a railroad track. And, and so uh, there's Kozlowski. He, he grew up in my rig, so I watch him. Elliot, of course, I knew when he was in. I used to sit with Chase in the, in the wagon for the race when Bill drove for 21, and we were listening to his dad tell us, how about this? His dad is racing in Atlanta, and on the radio, Chase is sitting right here. He goes, who put the spring rubber in the right rear? The radio is silent. This is dad driving. He goes, I'm going to ask one more time, and when I come in, you better get it out. Wow. How about that? Now we're going along, he says to Chase, I just passed Keslowski for the fifth time, Chase. Yes, Daddy. Has he ever passed me on the track? No. He passed in the pits. Mm. He said, so he is not passing me on a track. No. Okay. Then the spotter, this is Bill Elliott, you got to love this, says the worst thing. He says, Bill, the leaders are running through three and four up high. Bill says, check with those guys and see if any of them want to try driving this car. Because <laughs> 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 he put the car where it's got to go. Yeah. Sure. You know, there's, there's nobody like it. Your dad and Bill 
didn't say the car was loose. They both said, take a half pound out, put a half pound. They didn't need a guy to tell them, you know. Yeah. Everybody else says, uh, on a scale of one to ten, I'm a four coming out of here. Right. And the, you know what I'm saying. The guy said, well, we'll do that. These two cats, Bill and him, uh uh-uh. Uh, I I need I need a new this I need a new that I need it now. Rusty Wallace was the same way. Was one, he? Yeah, that was one of the things about. I don't know many drivers that could do that today. Kurt Busch uh, gets pretty technical if you re, if you listen to him about the changes he wants in his car. He's very specific about how he thinks the car is working, sway bar, and all those different things, and what he thinks will fix it. But yeah, you're right. Like Dad, Bill Elliott, Rusty Wallace, that whole uh, generation would not come over the radio and say, I'm really loose no. in, in this part of the track, and, and let the Help crew chief <laughs> come up with an answer. Yeah, um, they would go, I need more right rear spring, right? Yeah, they yeah. would just say, I need more sway bar. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know what I mean? And they'd come Take in, a round out right now. Take yeah. a round out. They'd they'd say. Come in, they'd do that change. He'd go back out. Yep, that's better. Or, nope, take that out and let's try this spring. You yeah. know, and so the guys today, I, probably me included, I was a bit of the both. I was, I was like, I'm really loose. I think it's because of this. But yeah, and now the uh, most of the drivers today, I don't, I don't, I think they're they're more. You know, I'm tying them loose. Fix it. How about this? Uh, Chase is sitting here. Mm-hmm. We're in 21 pit. I'm sitting here. You know, Bill says, I'm going to take my right fender. I'm going to stick it on him, and he, I'm going to stop him. Watch what I'm doing. He's, t- he's t- coaching his kid. He's teaching. Yeah. And and he goes up on the car, and the next thing the car looks like he's got a parachute, right? Woo, that car goes back. And and now uh, the spotter comes says, two cars behind you, Bill. They're coming a lot faster than you if you want to get it going. He goes, I'll let them go by. He goes, now, Chase, watch what lap they pass me. Four laps later, he goes, how many laps did it take us to go by them? Their tires are gone. I mean, this is a teacher. Were these yeah. during cup races? Yes. And, and you were in the pit, why? Uh, to sit with Elliot and listen. Just, 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 yeah. Trying to learn. I got you. And you'd learn more. I mean, if he'd have done that with me when I started, I would have quit coaching. <laughs> is that right? Would you have quit coaching to race? Like Sometimes you say yes, but I always go back. I love coaching, too. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. As a coach. I'm like his dad was with me. I'm a teacher. And Jimmy Johnson is the only guy in NASCAR that met me and said, I want to know what Senior said to you. <laughs> Nobody else was smart enough to come. They all know what happened. And Jimmy says, just tell me what he told you. Now, because Jimmy Johnson, as you know, left no stone unturned. Yeah, sure. He, he was the workers of all workers. And he wanted to know. He said, what did the... Uh, what did Senior tell you? He says, he told me to quit time and lapse. Mm. And, and your dad wanted the lowest gear because his dad was going to get him coming out. And Elliot wanted the highest gear because he was going to be the fastest guy after the flag stand. So yeah. you see how there's two different drivers? Mm-hmm. So Elliot got you going in, and his dad got you coming out. And so you, you learn something from everybody. Yep. Wow, that's interesting. I'm thinking about the the whole uh, passing the grass thing now, uh, just with that type of context yeah. behind, you know, getting oh, them coming out of the turn. Uh, I got to say this. You said passing the grass. I came out of my chair watching Joe Gibbs' grandson drive. Oh, wasn't that good? I, would you believe a guy could drive like that? That was as good, uh, Junior, as you and I have seen. Yeah. And I'm not a friend of Joe Gibbs. We don't talk because we, 
we, we ended up hating each other coaching. Is that right? Oh, yeah. We, we don't even well, speak. Well, let's get back to that, but finish, <laughs> but, but finish your point on Ty Gibbs. I, my family knows racing. My family knows who. My brother, we know. When that kid went down through the grass and took him on the right side, I said, that's a great driver of the future right there. I don't know many guys that can do that that's been driving for 25 years, yeah. do what he did. And I was so proud of him because his dad, I helped teach drive the trucks. His Cole, dad, yeah, yeah his dad was dri- driving the trucks. I was the guy trying to help him. So it was so much fun. You guys probably forget, I called NASCAR races for a while on CBS and TNT. So I would drive the ARCA race on Saturday and call the, the, the cup race on Sunday. So I got to help some people that way, too. So you, you said that you and Joe aren't on good terms. Well, we played each other. She was going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. It was played at Washington, and we had about three inches of mud. It hadn't rained there in two months. So they had Purdue prescription turf. So I went to the groundskeeper. I said, turn on the pumps. That means it drains the he goes, we will. I goes, when? He goes, two hours after the game. <laughs> That's what you call home field advantage. Okay, so hold on. So this would have been RFK? Yeah. Okay, the stadium? Yeah. RFK I stadium. had the fastest. You were the Falcons? I had the, the fastest team in football. Joe had the biggest. Right. And, and, and this would have been, what, 91, 90? So 90, you say 91, 92. And, and you had won a playoff game, and so now you're playing Washington. Yeah, we had beat New Orleans in New Orleans. Which was a big deal because Atlanta winning a playoff game hadn't happened in you know a century or whatever. And how about this? Poor New Orleans, their first home playoff game ever, and we beat them. Yeah. So, so you're so you're basically pin the, your whole relationship on the Joe Gibbs over the turf situation. Well, these things are important. <laughs> <laughs> you did have a fast team. Yeah, but I had the fastest. Team. Is that why y'all lost? Well, the quarterback wouldn't change his cleats. Remember, I had Chris Miller, and he had gone to knee surgery. Well, the only way we could stand up, he had to put on long cleats. Well, if you've got a bad knee, you're not going to put on long cleats. Mm-hmm. So uh, the whole thing mushrooms into the point we're not playing like we normally play. Yeah. It would have been a hell of a game on a, on a good turf. And so that right there <laughs> yes. is why you still are not on good terms. With the nicest guy on the planet. <laughs> With Joe Gibbs. We haven't spoke since. Whoa. Man. What? Well, we got to bring them together. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. There'll probably be a fight. No. <laughs> no, no. He's, he's a great guy. I'm so proud of what he does there. But I've never met his grandson. Yeah. And by the way, Joe did say, I appreciate you helping my son in the truck. He said that to me one time. Oh, there you go. I walked away. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I was so proud. I've never met his grandson. I wouldn't know him from a jar of Vicks. Yeah. I was so proud. I, I'm always proud of these young guys that really drive. Yeah. And the kind of equipment I sat in, your, your dad was gracious. If you got a sixth-place car, you'll be third. If you got a 15th-place car, you'll be seventh. That's what your dad always told me. And, and so I look for guys that do that. Yeah. You know, here's a guy with a 25th-place car. and gets it up to ninth. He's, dra- he's driving, you know? Yeah. I used to like uh, who, who drove for uh, Felix Sabatis, uh Kyle? Uh, he, he left like two years ago. Not Felix. Uh, Ganassi. Um, Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy outdrove his equipment. You know what I'm going to say. Jeremy. I used to call him Never yeah. Lift Jeremy. Jamie McMurray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did he overdrive his equipment or what? He, uh, he was really good. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I was proud of him because I look for a guy, and I love his owner. You love Ganassi? Yeah. 
I think if I came back as a driver, I'd want to drive for Ganassi. Yeah, yeah, I think y'all get along. Yeah, yeah. You, you know why I like him? When that Kyle kid was driving for him, I was standing next to the car. What's Kyle's? Uh, Larson. Larson. You know what he told him? We're qualifying. He said, "Bring, bring back the pole or bring back the steering wheel. I don't care about the car." Yeah. Now I never had that. I never had that kind of financing. You know. He brings up a good point. I could see Jerry Glanville running for Ganassi. Maybe Childress, definitely not Rick Hendrick, right? Yeah. Uh, not Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> not Gibbs. Could you see him running for Penske? No, no. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You know who? You know who always wanted me to go drive for him was Kyle Petty. Hey, Kyle I Petty. My first NAS, My first ARCA race was in uh, Talladega, and Kyle Petty was calling it on TV. Yeah. And he said about lap whatever, he goes, this guy won't run another ARCA race. This guy will be in a cup car tomorrow. Well, lo and behold, with three laps left, I got hit in the right rear, went over the infield wall backwards and landed where we do the prayer. That's how I finished the Talladega race, my first super speedway. Wait a second. You wrecked at Talladega. Yeah. Where did you end up? Where, where, where did your car come to rest? On when I came out of four, it turned. How about this? It turned around. Come out of four, right? Come out of four. It turned around, and for the first year ever, we had roof flaps. And the roof flaps, you have a flap on your dash. It shows your roof. And I didn't know my crew did this. The flap came open on my dash, and they wrote the word tilt. Hang on. <laughs> this was the very first race I ever attended. I had wow. never been to another race. Uh -huh. He stopped. His car yeah. stopped right in front of me. Yes. And when he says people cheered when he crashed, he ain't lying. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever seen cars go that fast. I couldn't believe it. We yeah. saw the end of practice. I think there was second round qualifying that day. Right. And I'm watching Brett Bodine in that Quaker State car. Like, as I walk into the grandstands and I'm watching this car turn a lap, I couldn't I'd never seen anything go so fast. And then the ARCA race happened. And I, you really were – a rock star. Oh, I, I, it was. It was. And awesome. when you crashed, it nobody cared about anything else, and not in a bad way. I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad way. Just you had every, you had captivated everybody, and you when you your car you wadded that thing up good, oh, real good. Real yeah, good. it was it was wrecked. That was my first race. <laughs> good to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was the first time I was going backwards. You know, at, at 190 miles an hour. Was, and, by the way, I qualified like ninth. You'll die with this. And uh, really great speed. I qualify 191, something like that. And uh, then Ernie comes down and changes the timing in the plugs after qualifying. He goes, okay, Jerry, you'll be at the front in about five laps. I goes, well, why didn't you give me that for qualifying? He says, because I wanted us to be in the race. Yeah. And that's the way Ernie was. And yeah. you'll love this. Ernie told me, Jerry, I'm watching you drive. If you knock him out of the way to pass him, I will not build your motor because you can go buy them without hitting them. Yeah. Now, what other guy would tell you that? Mm -hmm. He goes, as long as you, he says, as long as you drive like Dale Earnhardt, I will build your motors. <laughs> oh. That's what he tell me. Well, Dale Earnhardt. He had a yeah. and hit bump, them. Bump a few. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get the connection, but they, they, <laughs> they both love the long straightaway yeah. because when I got down in the apex, you know, you, when I got down in the apex, I was on the floor. Because I'd go up higher, and I'd come down like I was taught. And I, I had the car turn. When I was in the middle of the circle, the car was turned, and I was gone. Yeah. Well, Ernie called that then the longest straightaway down here. Mm -hmm. and 
He'd say, let the big dog eat. That's what he called his motor. <laughs> he'd go, Jerry, let the big dog eat. Well, Jerry, man, it's been a great conversation. Well, I hope your show's not canceled. It's not canceled. We're if if be they fine. cancel it, I'll put you to work. Don't no, worry. We're going to be fine. <laughs> I will, yeah, I'll coach. Let me coach. Yeah. You'd be, be good. I'm going to have you coach the secondary. Secondary? All right. You know why? <laughs> the, only the good team secondary hit. Half these secondaries, they don't hit. They just yeah. cover. If I had you, we'd hit somebody. Oh, we'd hit somebody? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm, for some reason, I don't feel like I'd be a very good uh, football coach. I don't know. I hey, think you'd do all right with him, though. Yeah, I could probably just listen to him. Yeah. He said <laughs> yeah. to do. Well, man, we appreciate you coming all this way. I know you uh, kind of making a little tour here and, and detoured over to Mooresville, North Carolina to come to the studio. And well, we're picking up a race car, so yeah. we, we sort of we're picking up another hot rod. We have, by the way, I have the new Camaro mm-hmm. uh, ZL11LE. Have you driven one? <laughs> you can run to home at a hundred and take a right hand turn. And it'll stick like glue. Really? It's like the driving mellow yellow. Yeah? <laughs> My gosh. Well, man, I've always been kind of uh, curious to know more about you, and we're glad you came over here today to tell us, you know, some more about your driving career and how all that got started because – in my world or in my mind, you just you you were bigger than life on on the football side, and then poof, there you were in the garage driving cars, driving trucks. I was racing against you, and then I know you you know you've had you've had quite the career. So it's been awesome to to catch up. Crazy to know that you're still driving after all these years. Well, the toughest thing now with driving is getting in the window. Yeah, the windows are getting smaller. <laughs> the windows and getting are getting bigger. smaller. That's yeah. right. I can understand that. Well, we wish you luck. And I uh, know you're going to have fun and enjoy yourself, and we'll we'll stay tuned uh, to what you got going on, buddy. Well, I want to tell you, my son is your biggest fan. He loves you, and uh, he's going to write you a letter. He said to tell you he's going to write you a letter, and he won't tell me what he's going to tell you. All right. So if it's something bad, send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it, buddy. All right, brother. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Yes, sir. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. Uh, for the Dale Jr. Download. This is the Ask Jr. portion of the show. Appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope you guys got some great questions. I'm sure you do. Mike's here. Um, Leah's going to get us going, so let's get started. Our first question coming from Zach Albright. What was it that sparked your interest in, for getting involved with the Nashville IndyCar ownership? Uh, there's a. That's a great question. I appreciate you asking this. There is a really good friend of mine, Teddy Phillips, that's part of the ownership group. Uh, I became friends with him over probably the last year. And just think, you know, I've just gotten to know the guy over the last probably 12 months. And um, he was telling me about his involvement. The opportunity came to me to, to be a part of it. And I thought, it sounds like something fun that me and, me and Teddy can do together. And um, I'll get to hang out with him a little bit more. So that was part of the probably the biggest motivating factor of it. The other thing too is that you know I've been talking about trying, you know, hoping that one day NASCAR can get to the fairgrounds. Uh, we're going to go to the Super Speedway for a couple seasons uh, in the in the near future. However long that that happens, uh, we just we don't know. Uh, we don't know whether we'll ever get to the fairgrounds, but a lot of people would like to see that. Me included, obviously. And it was kind of a all you know rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing um, to be a part of uh, to to kind of have an ear to the ground on on how things are going to go for the IndyCar series 
racing in town, um, how all that works with the government officials and so forth, and and how how everybody comes together to agree. You know, it's it's a teaching moment for me to for help maybe help me further understand the hurdles and obstacles uh, that are in front of NASCAR to get to the fairgrounds, and and to truly understand and appreciate the value of us being at the Super Speedway uh, and being able to celebrate our champion in Nashville. That's a great connection. It feels like a a great fit for NASCAR. And I also, you know, I've always said and, and felt like that it, wherever we celebrate the champion, where the, wherever we celebrate that defining moment where we acknowledge all the uh, all the things that happened in our sport throughout the year, plus giving away that trophy to the driver that that's won it, I think we should race in that town. We should showcase our product in that same town. We do that celebrating in. So um, there's some there's a lot just a big teaching lesson for me to be honest to learn more about how all that comes together we're getting a lot of questions about sunday's daytona road course race this one specifically from abby do you think the yellow for rain was necessary on sunday it didn't look like the in-car camera showed much rain yeah i saw somebody called it the re- the, the caution for a rainbow uh, <laughs> i thought that was funny um <laughs> so everybody can look at it that's funny <laughs> caution rainbow double rainbow red flag i you know i thought initially like when it happened i was like what come on this is terrible we gotta ch- you know we need to change our approach to rain and to rain tires and and uh my initial reaction while i'm watching the race is i don't like this yellow uh, I want the drivers to drive and the crew chiefs to crew chief. They got the tires in the pit. If they think they need wets, then they can call their own ass down pit road and get their wets. If if they need to stay out there and manage it on dries because it's not quite wet enough and some of the tracks, you know, whatever, right? Let I want to I wanted to see the drivers manage the conditions and be drivers and be put in a tough situation and figure it out. And the crew chiefs manage the strategy as we know they can. And uh, in a, it feels like to me, in that moment now, this is when it's happening, like NASCAR's holding their hand, like walking their little kid t- into the classroom. And um, I use that analogy because I just dropped Isla off at, uh, at, at her school. But that was that's my gut reaction in the moment. But then I talked to some spotters and some people that were there. I was watching it on TV, and uh, some of the – some of the you know some of the conversations I've had with drivers or, or spotters that were there at the racetrack to paint a different story that the that the rain and the track and the conditions didn't convey across the TV right what I was seeing on TV didn't look that bad but what they were seeing in person warranted the reaction that NASCAR had like let's, let's throw this yellow because this part of the track's wet and this is the rules that we put in place. Uh, to when this type of situation happens, we have this protocol, and that we mu- we've we've told the drivers agreed with the RTA or whatever, and we must follow this protocol. And so I kind of I understand that per how things are are set up as far as the rules or the protocol, they did what they were supposed to do and what they said they would do, what the drivers expected, what the teams expect. Okay. Still going forward, I think there might be a better way. You know, when when I ask some of the people that are there uh, performing in the race, 
in the in the people that are in the industry like why can't we just you know let the team sort it out right if it starts raining somewhere why can't we why can't the drivers just go hey uh i need to slow down and manage this these tougher conditions uh the crew chief can figure out when and when not to put rain tires on the people that are racing in the race say that um that's not realistic uh, that the drivers don't have enough experience. Uh, we don't have enough experience with these cars in, in the wet on slicks and that um, you're going to have chaos. Uh, cars crashing into walls, into each other, uh, getting stuck, you know, get, getting off course everywhere, right? While that would be entertaining to see, it would probably be as frustrating as what we really saw Sunday, you know, the caution that sort of turned the field inside out and jumbled everything else and changed the whole complexity of the race. That's probably what we would have got anyways had they not thrown the yellow. I guess my, my hope is that one day we can get to a place to where the governing body NASCAR doesn't have to throw that yellow. I hope that somehow, somewhere, somehow you know, we can develop further enough as a series to where the drivers manage the conditions, the crew chiefs, and, and you know they, they determine when they want to change tires and when not to, and nobody needs to throw a yellow to, to sort of help us you know through this, through this time, uh, through those situations. I, would, I think for me it's fun and entertaining to see the teams and drivers work through that difficult part of – the conditions, the weather, and all that. I mean, it, we see it in so many other... Now, they do throw yellows. Uh, with that said, you know, we see... I, I guess I'm kind of wanting what I see in IMSA, but IMSA does that too. When it rains super hard, uh, they'll they'll throw the yellow. They'll, they'll red flag the race when the, when there's... You know, I've been in uh, the 24 Hours of Daytona when they red flag the race because of the, the rain. Or when they threw... The, we ran under yellow for hours uh, That with Tony Stewart and me and, and, mm-hmm. and Wallace... Uh, we were under yellow for three or four hours in the middle of the night because of the rain. So, wow. all right, you know, there, there's, you know, there's arguments for both sides. It was frustrating as hell when it happened, but, you know, I kind of, after having some conversations with some people that were there, I, I got a different opinion about it. I can't imagine it being a worse scenario than having to be under caution for three hours in the yeah. rain. That would be awful. Yeah. All right, our next question coming from Albert Shivers. Hey, Dale, what do you know about singer Marty Robbins' career, short career in NASCAR? You know, I know probably as much as anybody else and no more, right? Um, the one thing that, uh, you know, this would be, you know, if Marty were here today, we could talk about it and have him, he'd be an amazing guest to have in this show because there's a lot of goal, there's a lot of gaps and holes that I'd love to feel. Uh, that I just don't know about his career. He raced at the fairgrounds in Nashville and ran in, I guess, what is today the uh, uh, late model stock or late model sportsman or super late models. You know, he ran in the top class there and apparently was very successful and and, and had, a, had a lot of fun and, and a lot of success at that racetrack. And that led to either him being encouraged or him, you know, seeking uh, – I don't know how he ended up in the Cup Series one way or another. He did. He bought cars from different teams. I think he bought Dodges from the Petties, and uh, he bought a, a Buick from Junior Johnson. Um, he had different cars uh, that were usually hand-me-down or a year old or two-year-old, uh, and he'd go out there and compete. And um, I don't know that he had a ton of success in the Cup Series. I don't know his stats, but um, in the races that I've watched uh, – 
you know, he was just kind of a journeyman style racer and a bit of an independent, if you will. And, um, yeah, I don't know much else about his career. You know, unfortunately, something we ought to dig into to try to figure out more. We need to, we need to do that. Cause it, it's, uh, you know, it's, he was a successful country singer. And, um, I think a lot of people look at his cup career in much the same way they might look at Jerry Glanville, our guest today, as a guy that was that was in had a totally different life and just dabbled in in racing and because he could, right? But no, I think Marty Robbins has a career at the fairgrounds and raced there for so many years, very hard, rugged racing, week in and week out, kind of cut his teeth uh, the same way that any other race car driver today cuts their teeth. So his his story, I think, is a little little more robust than a lot of people might give it credit for. One more question from Sam Green. With the recent addition of the 1987 NASCAR stock cars to iRacing, do you think it's possible that other older cars could be added in the future? Well, um, I do have my, uh, you know, I do have a little bit more of a closer connection to iRacing and have a better understanding of sort of the direction they're going to go. And I don't know that we'll have any other older stock cars coming into the service over the next several years, but, um, the you know, that I, I would just say that, there's always new content. I, I really don't know how to answer that question. I don't think that we'll have – there's not another, you know, there's not a another stock car in the pipeline. Um, older cars, other historic cars, I'm not real sure what the interest is uh, across the service for for uh, what potentially could be created. But, um, you know, they're going to keep building tracks, keep building cars. Hopefully it's all – I, I kind of enjoy the current stuff, driving what what's out there today and – trying to understand what, you know, especially stuff overseas. I think that um, there's a lot of interest in more racetracks over, overseas and outside the U.S. Also, as far as uh, content, cars, vehicles, um, a lot of interest in, in, in cars overseas and outside the U.S. as well. So we'll see. All right, guys. I appreciate everybody for uh, some great questions again this week. Uh, thanks for uh, – being a part of our show and helping us create a lot of great content for the Dale Jr. Download. We'll see you later. Have a great week. So, Mike, about a a week or two, maybe three weeks ago, I stumbled onto something that I thought was really interesting that I didn't uh, know if a lot of people had, but it was the minutes to the meeting that NASCAR, well, that Bill France set up in 1947 in uh, December 14th through the 17th that would basically be the meeting that organized NASCAR, the, where, where NASCAR was basically dreamt up and created at the Streamline Hotel in Daytona Beach. You've heard about it. Everybody that knows about NASCAR has heard about this meeting, right? And so I stumbled upon, in collecting things as I do from time to time, I stumbled upon a copy of the minutes from that meeting. And this copy that I have, and I've showed it to you, Mike, it's yeah. pretty banged up. you got it right there in front of you. I do. Uh, a lot of staple holes and all that good stuff. So it's been around uh, for, I know, at least 30 years. That copy itself is at least 30 to 40 years old. And you've read through it. I have. Right? Was it pretty interesting? Super interesting. For one, just like the priorities. All right? You know, this is the formation of the sport. And we think about the Streamline Hotel, and I don't know about you, but I think about, like, you know, they had they went in with some 
ideas of yeah. uh, you know already established. But I don't really get that after reading the minutes. It's like okay, first and foremost, we got to find us a director. Yeah. Who's going to be our director? All right, I make a motion for this guy, or I make a motion for this guy, and then they also like we got we need rules. Hey, we need a schedule. How are we going to figure out the schedule? And so literally, this is the formation of everything that we know and take for granted today. In my mind, when I hear about this meeting, I imagined Bill France Sr. calling everybody up and saying, hey, meet me at this hotel. I got this plan. And, I'm, and they all get together and sit down, and he passes around this sort of rough draft of what NASCAR is going to be. And they all read it and discussed and then eventually agree upon NASCAR in a sense. But it didn't happen that way. If you read the the minutes, the impression that you get from that meeting is uh, that they sat down for three days. Now, they, they sat down in that room without any rudder, compass, or anything. They basically had a blank page. We need to organize. We need to make this more official. Stock car racing is just all over the place. There's a bunch of different organizations, a lot of different rules, and... and we can make this a national thing if we can all kind of get underneath an understanding of, of a simple set of rules and a, and a schedule and so forth. And they basically set out to do this over however long it took, whether it was two hours, a week, or whatever. It ended up taking three days. They would meet every morning. They would adjourn the meeting. It was an official, like, they had, you know, I motioned for this. Okay, somebody has to second. Yeah. Uh, then it's voted on. All this was very well-organized meeting, not chaotic. So the men are going on their third day of, of meeting, right? And the day before, uh, they adjourned with some homework. Uh, this was one of the most interesting things about the meeting. Each was tasked to consider ideas for the name of the new association, that would govern stock car racing. So Wednesday morning on the 17th, the third day, they all meet at 10 a.m. And driver Red Byron made a motion to adopt NSCRA, National Stock Car Racing Association, as the name of the association for the present time. And Buddy Schumann, who was also a driver, seconded the motion. Otherwise, the motion wasn't voted on, at least by the minutes. So, which is interesting. I wonder why they didn't go that go to a vote. But that's that's interesting. Another thing that um, you'll find interesting if you read the minutes is that a lot of the things that were motioned or seconded or whatever were motioned by everyone else in the room, but Bill France Senior. Mm-hmm. So Bill France Senior sort of called everybody and and sent out the invites for this meeting, but he wasn't really the guy going. Here's what I think we should do with this. Here's what I think we should do with that. He basically sat back, and everyone else in the room put forward their ideas. Oh, and yeah. It even says Bill France made the motion that everybody with an idea on the name for the association write it down on a piece of paper, submit it, and pass it around. Yep. No second. No one seconded that motion. I know. All right? So he said, you know what? I like your idea, Red Byron, to adopt NSCRA, but maybe we should all put forth something on paper, and they all went, meh. Nah. <laughs> after more, we like inscri- yeah. After more discussion on memberships and headquarters location, uh, Daytona Beach would get the vote. The group recessed for lunch. The meeting uh, opened again at 3 p.m. and they quickly set out to vote on the name of the association. The choices were: a. 
NASCAR Stock Car Racing Association, NSCRA, or National Association of Stock Car Racing, NASCAR. Those two were the options. The results of the voting were 7-4 to four NSCRA. Just that easily, we were just about to never be NASCAR. Right. Right? The NSCRA. NSCRA. It was then discussed that there was an association in Georgia already named NSCRA, and they wondered what steps would be necessary to take over and form a new corporation under this name that was already incorporated. Ed Bruce made a, notion, made a motion that the voting for the name by ballot be disregarded and that the association start from scratch, incorporated here in Florida, and the name National Association of Stock Creation be used Jack Peters seconded the motion. It was voted on and carried. So in that moment, you know, that's, that's just how easily, I mean, now that took, that was a, from 10 a.m. till whatever, 4 p.m., that's, that's where NASCAR came from. At some point, somebody in the corner goes, <clears throat> uh, sorry, uh, sir, but we have a problem. There yeah. is a, There's already an association, association in Georgia that is the NSCRA. They are a knitting club. I don't know whatever they are. But so, so let's hear about the NSCRA and what was the NSCRA in that little place in Georgia, right? The little sanctioned body. Uh, they, they were a sanctioned body for stock car racing that operated from 1946 to 1951. Now, remember, this meeting in Daytona was in 1947 of December. Uh, they competed against several other sanctioned bodies, including eventually NASCAR, and it was considered to be the most significant challenger to NASCAR's dominance of the sport of stock car racing. It was founded in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. It was one of many sanctioning bodies that cropped up after the uh, end of World War II to promote the fledgling sport of stock car racing, and it remained a pretty much informal group until Bruton Smith mm. assumed responsibility of the group in 1948 after the meeting in Daytona. So Bruton Smith, the Smith family that owns half of the racetracks in the NASCAR sport today, and the France family owning the other half, right? These two families are so heavily involved in the sport back in 1947, 48, 49, right? So Bruton Smith's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take responsibility of this organization. What's he, like 12? I mean, like, how well, listen, old would he have been at the time? Whether intentional or not, he is going up against NASCAR in competition for drivers, uh, trying to attract the most fans, and so he offered lucrative purse money uh, to try to get stars to come to his races. In direct competition, France announced his own strictly stock race. France. So France, there was back then everybody ran modifieds. All right. France announced that he's going to have this strictly stock race and he's going to run it at Charlotte Motor Speedway in June of 1949. Some perceive this as a direct poke in the eye to Smith and the NSCRA as Charlotte was Smith's hometown. Ironically, driver Buddy Schumann, as you remember, who was part of the meeting That's in NASCAR, right. he seconded the motion to name the series the NSCRA, to name NASCAR the NSCRA. He, he's driving in the NSCRA for Bruton Smith. <laughs> he won the modified title in 1948. He was the stock car uh, champion for the series in 1950. So all the drivers sort of intermingled amongst the different associations as one or the other was trying to vie for the supremacy or the, the be the top dog yeah. or the only right. All right, so in late 1950, uh, seeing as how the sport was still on pretty shaky basis, neither, none of the organizations had really been become the clear leader. 
uh, Smith and France meet in Charlotte over dinner. France invited Bruton Smith to this dinner and agreed in principle to merge the respective organizations into a single unified promotional body for the sport. However, four weeks later, Bruton Smith was drafted in January 1951 to fight in the Korean War as a paratrooper. In his absence, the NSCRA management, dominated by drivers, proved incapable of keeping the organization afloat amongst internal disputes and were forced to close down the sanctioned body during the summer of 1951. And once Smith returned from service, his previous opportunities in in governing stock car racing had vanished. A couple things in my mind here. One, if he he got drafted in what year? 1951. So he had to have been in his early 20s, maybe, at then. So really, he could have been a teenager in 47 and 48. I mean, like, right? Yeah. I don't know what year, but I, I know mean, it's easily found. But Yeah, he was born in 27. Really? Mm-hmm. Boy. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to imagine things here, but in my mind, it seems like it, all, it was awful close to being a, a sort of an agreement and a partnership with Bruton Smith and France. It the would, two families that still today control a good majority of what's going on in our sport were the two families that almost became, in a sense, partners. I called Marcus Smith about some of this information, and a lot of this can be found on Wikipedia and so forth, and he, he verified it. He said, yep. He said, that, that none of that is untrue. And so I don't, you know, I, I feel like I'm a historian of the sport, man, but I found that to be really compelling, and I knew none of this until this past week. I really didn't dive into it because I just assumed that all this went very smoothly they went, they went into the meeting in 1947, designed, you know, created NASCAR, and poof, we were off and running. Right. But apparently it wasn't so easy. Right. Um, and things weren't, quite, uh, things weren't quite as official as they had hoped right out of the gate. Uh, but the fact that the two families that, you know, at times have been at odds with each other over the last 50 years or, or more, 70 years, yeah, really – Got off on the wrong foot to begin goes, with. Goes back to the 40s. Yeah. This thing is very interesting, and I appreciate you. I don't know how you got it and how you found it and, and what you did, but you made a copy of it, and I read through it. One is uh, there is a speech by Bill France Sr. that is included in this document, yep. and, it, I, and I assume it was just the kind of wrapping up uh, I, the, the meeting or whatever, but have you read through it? I felt like when, when I was looking at that speech that that was the beginning. Okay. Yeah, like, it might have been. That was the opening speech. I'm telling you something, though. It is so interesting. At some point when we have time, maybe on another podcast, we literally, <laughs> we ought to read it. I mean, it is, it is something else uh, to, to hear his perspective on the formation of NASCAR and what led him to do that. I mean, he was a racer himself, right? The other thing I love about this, I got it circled here. Bill France makes a motion that we appoint Cannonball Baker to the High Commissioner of the, uh, of the Racing Association. Eddie Bland, second into motion. Cannonball Baker is going to be our High Commissioner. Vote yes, Cannonball Baker. I just love the name Cannonball Baker. Why is he not in? A, <laughs> why is he not talked about more? Why do we need Cannonball Baker in our lives? Right. Yeah. That's a name. This is very interesting, though. It is. Just thought it would be worth pushing that information out there and seeing what everybody's sort of response is. And maybe there's some untruths. Maybe there's some more to the story that we'll all learn from it. Last 
All right, everybody, it's time for the last call. Show 328 is nearing a close. The Dale Jr. Download is on NBCSN Thursday. Thursday. Mm. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday. 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. A new episode of Door Bumper Clear after the Daytona Road Course is waiting for you. Uh, TJ talks about coming close to a win at Daytona again with Joe Logano. Brett talks about Clint Boyer calling him out on the broadcast. And Freddie talks about a tough day with Bubba. And uh, Reaction Theater caller cusses Brett out. Oh, That's worth listening. Well, yeah, I'll check that out. <laughs> That's available on all major podcast platforms. Door Bumper Clear. Dirty Mo Media merch is available. We have on t-shirts, sweatshirts, so much more. It's available on DirtyMoMedia.com and in the Junior Nation retail store here at the shop in Mooresville, North Carolina. Come check it out. Uh, great show, man. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Another week. It was fun. And uh, thank you for uh, even suggesting Jared Glanville. This is somebody we've been trying to get for a while. Yeah. Didn't know how to get a hold of him. I mean, like, where's he at? But, uh, boy, that was a treat. It was, uh, and I'm looking forward to our lineup. We, me yeah. and you have been talking about our guests. We've, we've got a lot in the pipe booked up, and uh, we always like to hold on to those uh, those announcements till the last minute because it's more fun for us. But uh, <laughs> we got some great guests coming down the road, and, and uh, this is going to be fun, fun season. So everybody, take care. Have a good week, and we'll be talking to you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.